Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Again, I'm back with the awesome Dr. Shayette talking about this time. We're going to park medication and we're going to talk about uh, focus, the, the focused brain. And if you haven't listened to the medication episode, please go back and pull it up, dig it up, listen to it. She brings up a whole bunch of good points. I learned a bunch of things and she validated a whole bunch of things for me. So definitely recommend that one. So let's get into it, doctor. Let's talk about focus and ADHD. I like to say that I'm focused. I can hyper-focus like there's no tomorrow when it comes to things that I love that are interesting for me. But then the minute you tell me to do my taxes, I don't want to focus. (laughs) (laughs) And thus the accountant profession was born. Yep. Um, Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, first of all, Kathy, thanks for having me back. It's, it's so much fun to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah. So focus is something that is fluid in different people. So focus means paying attention to one thing and not paying attention to other things. And one of the biggest misconceptions in people with ADHD is they come in saying, I can't focus. And then what you, you know, what we wind up talking about is, well, when can you focus? I know you can focus sometimes because everybody I've ever met can focus sometimes. And you bring up the taxes and what you don't, you know, don't like to do. That is one big factor that makes it harder for everybody, ADHD or not ADHD, to focus you know, when I said focusing means paying attention to one thing and not paying attention to other things, I should also add that when you're not focused, it's like your brain is paying attention to many different things, not all at once, but it's hopping from thing to thing. And when you are interested in something, your brain moves from unfocused to focused. And you, Kathy, might be the most focused person on the planet in certain situations. Uh, for some people, they focus better on you know, their hobbies, their work. It has to be something that they like. And that automatically puts them into a more focused state. And other people then think it's kind of willful. Well, like you can focus on that, but you're not listening when I'm talking. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily that they're boring, but it's just not so intrinsically that it's grabbing your focus. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So where do we start? In, in the last episode, you were kind of going into it a little bit about setting goals and all of that stuff. So what is that... How does an athlete do it? Because you bring up the athletic focus. So what, what's the, the phrase that you use to, to talk about that theory? So, you know, we talk about athletic mindset and great athletes are not just strong. They're not just fast. They have to have a mindset that keeps them going. Their mindset increases their focus and brings out their own best performance And you can also have an athlete's mindset, even if you can't run fast or can't jump or whatever, have, I'm still working on my cartwheels, really. So the athletic mindset is one that's available to all of us, even if we're not athletes. It involves things like setting goals. It involves things like knowing that you have to practice and accepting that 
It involved things like making your environment conducive to focusing. So an athlete, for example, needs to set goals. They need to know how fast their performance is. They need to be able to set a goal for a, you know, an achievable next time that they're shooting for. They have to know they have to practice. They have to do the drills. They have to eat the right food. They have to get the right sleep. And then they need to measure, are they getting to their goal? And without those things, it will be hard for the athlete to move into the focused, great performance state. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. So the, there's, there's a question mark for me around goal setting. Because there's this whole notion of setting goals. There's books written on it. The whole, mm-hmm. like, there's a whole industry around that. Yes, there is. So I have a little bit of a, uh, a double-edged sword with goal setting. Okay. Because th- there's a point where, yes, we should be setting goals. But then there is this thing around then we hold on to that goal so hard that we forget all the steps that goes into getting there, right? So it's right. kind of like set the goal, but be detached from it, if you will. Yeah. The goal is right. a target. The goal is That's a target it. to hit. Now, once you set the goal, you also need to re- reevaluate. Is that goal still in line with what I want to do? You know, it's okay to improve the goal, to change the goal. That's fine. The important thing is to have the goal. And the other thing is that you're building a process that you can take not just for that particular goal, which will come and go. So if you set the goal of, okay, like weight loss, that you wanna lose 10 pounds in by January 1st, you then have to come up with a process to lose the weight. I'm gonna eat right, I'm gonna exercise, I'm not gonna eat out of emotional frustration, whatever it is. And, By January 1st, you'll have either met your goal or you won't have met your goal. And you might've learned something. Well, maybe that was too ambitious. Maybe next time I have to, you know, have a more realistic goal, whatever. January 1st will come and go, but you still have the process. The process is very valuable. You're still working on the eating and the exercising. And that's important for athletes too. You'll either win the race or you won't win the race, but either way you've worked on your running technique and you can take that technique and use it for the next race or the next thing that you want to do. So it's important for an athlete to learn how to deal with failure. Thank you. Yeah. And it's important for all of us to know that sometimes we're going to fail to meet the goals we set. That doesn't mean that we are bad people. It does mean that sometimes we have to work on realistic goal setting or finding out where, where did we go wrong in that process so we don't fall off our track over and over again the same way each time. I would say that most people have a tendency to set lofty goals that are too high. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to work. You will fail. And so, you know, in our last um, segment, we talked a little bit about the relationship between anxiety and depression or other negative emotions and focus. 
when you're anxious or depressed, then it's harder to focus. When it's harder to focus, you become more anxious and depressed. And this plays a role with goal setting, which is if you have some failures or if something doesn't work out for you, you need to keep it from making you a depressed person and having you know, every failure validate you're feeling that you're not good enough. You know, of course it didn't work out because it never works out for you or of all the other poisonous self-talk yeah. that, you know, especially people with ADHD who have had their share of failures and then some, they're good at the negative self-talk that that works out. And you can wind up in this morass where you have failure leading to depression leading to worse focus, leading to more failure, leading to worse emotions, leading to worse focus, leading to more failure. How do you get out of that spiral? It's actually goal setting in terms of you have to set a goal that you can hope to achieve. So feeling hopeful, feeling like you can do it. And sometimes it's believing you can do it despite evidence to the contrary. You want to set a small goal, really, really small. And then you want to notice that you've achieved the goal. You want to give yourself a pat on the back or have somebody else do it. But the celebration of the goal helps you get out of that negative spiral that we were talking about. So if you can set a small goal and then celebrate, that makes you feel good. That good feeling then improves your focus. Hey, I did that well. I'm gonna set, oh, a slightly bigger goal next time. Right. And it's like, you know, starting a bicycle little by little and then boom, you're in, in, you're flying. So, you know, when people are in the cycle of failure mm -hmm. to get on a cycle of success, you have to start with small goals that you celebrate. Mm -hmm. It helps, you know, helps people feel like they can do things. So I'm going to throw this at you about the doctor. I don't have time. I'm impulsive. I'm impatient. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, How's it working out for you so far, I Kathy? Know, right? You know, so and how, to, how do you, and I'm sure this comes up for you, right? Around that. So what would you, what would you say to, say to someone that's like, no, it's just the goal is too, too, too small. I mean, and I get it. You're not saying it's too small that it's just like so easy because then that's not even interesting for them to do. But well, that's, that's you know, that's where having a coach who you trust, which again is part of the athletic mindset. Yes. Steph Curry, best shooter in the world. However, he has a coach, right? Yeah. He's got a team of coaches. He's got the nutrition coach. He's got the mindset coach. He's got the technique coach, the offensive coach, the defensive coach, you know? So even the best athletes who are the best at what they do, have coaches. And so sometimes it's a matter of, you may not be the best judge of this. Humor me, trust me. Mm. And let's help me do things. Let's help me help you do things differently. Yeah. So what people have to get over is exactly what you're saying, which is, this is who I am and I can't do it any differently. Well, no, you haven't learned to do it differently yet. Mm -hmm. And the word yet is important here. The 
coach can be more objective than you. And so I call myself the, the, the co-pilot of your brain. (laughs) Right. And, you know, we, we're all part of judging what, how we're making decisions and how our emotions are influencing our decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where you need to sometimes step back and let somebody coach you. Okay. You know, you're going to do it this. And I think probably as a coach, having a map of here's where we expect to be at this time. Here's where we expect to be at this time. Here's our end goal. Are we working toward it might help those impulsive people see that the little goals are part of a plan, but yeah, you know, they have to accept that they have to do things a little differently than yeah, they're used I, to. Especially with, with our unique wiring, what happens is we can't even break it down to see what all the steps are because it's, it's just, it's a grand goal. And it's like, I don't even know what the very first step is. Right. Having that collaborative conversation of, is it this, is it that I think. Right. And you know, that's the thing. It's no coincidence that procrastination is part of this. When you have something that looks hard to do, it can move you from focus to not focus. So it's harder to focus when you're feeling overwhelmed. Again, there's that emotional piece playing a role, but all of us, for whatever reason, you know, it's like, wow, that's hard. Man, I don't know if I'm going to do that right now. You know, I'm going to go do something easier. So breaking down tasks into small pieces is extremely helpful. And it's something that it is hard for an ADHDer to do, but it is a skill that every ADHDer can learn to do. And it does help you achieve. Yeah. So this past weekend, I was, you know, painting my painting bedrooms and so on. And it involved a lot of work. And, you know, if I thought about it as like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these different things. I probably would have been like, yeah, that's, that's too hard. But I'm like, okay, today I'm going to do the taping tomorrow. I'm going to do the draping, you know, blah, blah, blah. So if you break it down, then you can start it. You can get a measurable chunk, but it's important at the end of each chunk to give yourself the high five. For example, you know, again, in basketball, if you picture the team members, when one of them scores a basket, the others are high-fiving them. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of celebration. And if you don't have that celebration, then where's the joy? It's all work. You know, if basketball was just like, okay, run, make a basket. Okay, go to the other side. Okay, go back and make another basket and go to the other side. You know, it's like that's not any fun. Nobody would want to play basketball. People continue to play basketball because they love the feeling of celebration when when things go right, when they've made a good play, when they've made a great basket, when they've defended, whatever it is. And so that joy is what keeps you doing the work. It's for the feeling of joy. So you need to have the joy in your life Sometimes life doesn't provide it. You mentioned doing taxes. (laughs) So, you know, the consequences of not being able to get work done are much higher as adults than for kids. Okay. Seems like a big deal for kids at the time. You know, they're not turning in their work. They're failing their classes. Okay. Whatever. You know, they got to go to summer school. It, 
it's not huge. It's bad, but you know, as an adult, the consequences of not turning in work or not doing your work are way worse. You don't turn in your taxes, you'll like get arrested. If you don't do your work, your boss will fire you and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, no mortgage or rent money. And, you know, all these terrible things happen to adults. And so one thing is that you can't just wait for things to amuse you or not. You know, you, if something is boring, guess what? It's on you to try to find a way to make it interesting. Yeah. You you know what? That's exactly, I love what you just said, because you know what I do at the beginning of it is I've got the paperwork, I've got a shredder and I have my little girl, she does the shredding. Uh-huh. She's little. Like, I she loves that, I bet. And a half. Yeah. She thinks it's like the most amazing act that she's doing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. she's preoccupied, but I'm kind of getting off of her enjoyment while I'm shuffling paper. <laughs> that is one of the most wonderful yeah. things about having little kids around Use them. That they are so joyful. You yeah. know, they can, they're so proud of themselves. It's like, hey, I want a little of that. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to make, make a little of that for me. One of the problems with our current electronic age and all the YouTube and all of this and all of that is that, you know, the, those guys are serving you a world that is pre-made, pre-rehearsed, pre, you know, it's entertainment, it's entertainment and you can swipe it off if you don't like it. We're living, you know, in our real world, we have to do things we don't like. We can't swipe the taxes away, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that plays a role in focusing because if you don't truly accept that you're going to have to do things that you don't like, it's going to be harder for you to focus on those things. Yeah. And I and, like what you're saying about that acceptance piece is there's a point where you know, as a coach, they say, I say, okay, bring on the story, bring on the narrative. But then there's a point where I'm going to stop you and say, how much longer are you going to keep saying that? Because (laughs) there's a point you're paying me to help you go through this. Right. And then then we need to park it and move on. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Because we can't keep going. And I feel like every time we repeat it back again, it's reminding your brain and it goes into that fight or flight. You know, you go into that amygdala hijack that, oh yes, I need to stress over this. I need to be worried about this thing because it's always so hard. Right. And it holds on to that. And, you know, if you think about the trajectory of your life with your little child, your four-year-old, you know, basically she does what she wants. You're there to keep her safe, but, you know, she does what she likes. And if she doesn't like something, she just, "Eh, I'm not going to do that. Right. And then they hit school and all of a sudden there's this, you, you're going to do everything I want you to do when I want you to do it, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. And it takes people years to buy into that. Some people never do, of course, right? And so as an adult, you know, that's a big difference between you and a little kid, which is that you have to accept that there are some things you're going to do that you don't want to do and that you have to find a way to make yourself do them. And that's that's it. The medications can help you to some degree, Mm -hmm. but if you don't really want to do that, if you're ambivalent about something, then it's going to be harder for you to do it. So again, you can take the example of an athlete, some pole jumping, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
if they're like, I really want to jump this height, but I'm kind of scared. I really want to do it on the one hand, but there's this other thing pulling me away from it. They're not going to do it. It's like they're being pulled in two different directions. Guess what? You don't go anywhere. So over, you know, you know, thinking about the ambivalent situations in your life, situations where you feel two conflicting feelings about something, that is a path to not getting anything done. So if you can work on ambivalence, then that will help you move towards focused states, just like an athlete. Mm -hmm. I have this little technique that I use, which is completely simple, but I do like this mad scientist thing around. I wonder what would happen if, so then I'm pushing curiosity, right? There's judgment in it. I wonder, I'm going to reach out to Dr. Hallowell and see if he wants to come on my show. I'm going to reach out to Dr. Shayette and see if she wants to come on my show. I don't know what they're going to say. But, you know, of course, there's always this back talk that happens of, well, what if they don't want to come on, da, da, da. But it's curiosity. Uh-huh. And both of you said yes. So I was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's, ter- that's, it's the that curious mind that I tap into when it comes to the difficult things is it's a hybrid. Right. Whether it's going to happen or not, we'll see. Right. Yeah. So that's a great way to move people from how they think to a different way of thinking, which is, is part of this, you know, we're all more comfortable with the old ways of doing things Mm -hmm. and visualizing, Hey, maybe it could be different. Maybe I can think about it a different way is important. Otherwise you keep doing the same things over and over. That's one of the emotional traps that can keep athletes down and can keep people down in their lives. You know, an athlete got used to their way of doing things. They've been super successful so far. And then all of a sudden a coach wants to tell them something different. Mm. Hey, you've got to pass differently. You've got to run differently. Here's a new technique. If an athlete is resistant to changing things because whatever reason they secretly feel like, no, they know how to do it. I'm the great, whatever, then they're not going to be able to grow as a person or as an athlete. And then what happens to people, and I'm sure you've seen this in your coaching, is they start blaming other people. Oh, yeah. So, oh, you yes. know, accepting responsibility is key towards being able to focus on something. And it's a real emotional trap when people go, I'm not doing it because my boss hates me or my teacher hates me or so it's unfair. You know, it's like, yeah, nobody really cares, right? You may have an unfair boss, but you have to learn how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. that's that, you know, there's a certain that's life. What and there's a life- whole lot of assumptions and interpretations that's in that language too, right? Yeah. It's when of they're course. blaming others. Which right. Is when you bring it to the forefront when we're working with them, is oh, is this true? No, it's not true. Oh, I, there's five <laughs> other ways of looking at that. So uh-huh. it's that always kind of gives them the light bulb because we're so in our heads. Yeah. And oh my God. And we believe everything we're thinking. <laughs> oh, I know. I yeah. know because we know everything. Yeah. And- it was interesting. My, uh, Michael Phelps, I read it somewhere that he had his day, like 15 minute blocks, like just everything was chunked out for him to just keep yeah. And He has ADHD. And so th- that structure Huge yeah, the, the structure is hugely important for people. So again, you know, 
why do people function well in the office or let's say on a team, you know, on a team or in the office, they have responsibilities for others. They have a well-defined role. Everybody's working together. The expectation is you get to practice and you work, you do your things. Mm-hmm. And at home, it's much less structured. You can sort of, you know, if you don't do your laundry at 11, you can do it at 12, whatever it is. And, you know, you have your devices saying, play me, play me, play me, yeah. watch me, watch me, watch me. And, you know, that, that's the thing that people can be two entirely different mindsets. You guys are the same person. You have to bring the focused person to other situations where the focused person doesn't naturally appear. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to tie that in also to if during the day you're so focused, there is a point where your brain is like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like you've drained me. Like I, the battery is completely running low. Right. So, and, and I just, I, I, that's what I talk about too, is when you're goal setting, when you're day planning, know when your energy levels are, what did you do the day before? Did you sleep well? All of that kind of plays into it so that they let go of this guilt of, well, when I get home, I also should be doing da, da, da. It's like, no, you had a busy day. Like, right. Right. And having the joy, you know, being grateful for what you have. Sometimes you have to make an effort to make positive emotions part of your life. But those positive emotions are what keep you going so that when you're losing or when things aren't going right, you remember the times where you've won and how good it feels and why you have to go to practice even when you feel like going out for ice cream instead. So, you know, translating that to getting stuff done at home, you feel good when things are organized. Remember Mm -hmm. that. You feel good when you don't have to look for things because looking for things is such a waste of time. Remember that, you know, that will help you bring the focus to where you put your keys down. If you hate looking for your keys, remind yourself of that good feeling. And, you know, yes, we all need to recharge. Exercise is really important. And, you know, that gives people chemical changes in their brain that, are very similar to taking Ritalin. So Mm -hmm. if you put a little rat on a little treadmill thing, or what do they call those hamster wheels or rat wheels or whatever, and the rat goes, 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 and you cut the rat's brain open and dip it in the chemical mixer analyzer thing, that brain will look like it's taken some Ritalin. It's focused and you know, there's similar changes. Mm -hmm. Exercise is important for self-esteem. It's important for focus. It does lots of chemical changes in your brain that you want. And so, you know, sometimes again, you know, when you come home, if if that's your grouchy time, you know, you have your 20 minutes of I'm not going home. I'm going to take a walk first before I walk in the door. I'm going to eat something, you know, feed my brain before I go inside. Whatever it is that you need to do to recharge, you know, you're allowed to and you're encouraged to. 
Cause yeah, the recharge part, the eating, I remember there was this thing with my husband. We were always like five o'clock rolls. We're both so irritable. Mm-hmm. And then we've realized we are completely like if there's not enough food in us, if there's not enough sugar in us, we're like Hulk comes out of both of us. Well, you know, the, the word that I like best is hangry, right? Yeah. Hungry, yeah. Angry. So before he even comes home, I'm like, you grab a snack on your way home because dinner's not ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I never can. I have hangry people who surround me and I never understood it because it would literally be if I could get them to have one bite in <laughs> and they were fine like does it change your blood sugar that fast but you know you know yes it's it's huge unfortunately some of the medications for ADHD can exacerbate mm-hmm. hangry at five o'clock because yeah some people skip breakfast the medicines make them not so hungry for lunch and then they wear off around five, they're starving, they're, you know, and that's just when they're walking in the door to try to be super mommy or daddy or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, somebody. So they unload on their nearest and dearest in that case. And these medicines are not weight loss drugs for most people. That's why they're not sort of marketed as weight loss drugs, mm-hmm. but you can lose weight. And, but more often you can be hangry at the end of the day. And that's something that you got to watch for and prepare for. Yeah. And it does affect focus. Like if I'm hungry and I'm trying to edit a podcast, it's not happening because it's not happening. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't even matter that I took my meds. It doesn't. Right. No. Feed your brain. Feed it something reasonable. You don't have to get crazy about your diet. You know, they, they haven't established that sugar is the root of focusing evil. Mm-hmm. there's you know eat a good healthy diet it's mm-hmm. good for you on so many ways you that know go sense. have have your halloween candy here and there no problem but you know have some good nutrition to feed your brain because your brain needs it yeah makes so much sense so i, I this topic is is awesome we covered so much ground around goal setting mindset habits so thank you so much for that anything that we missed any final thoughts or points on the athletic mindset and how it relates to ADHD. Yeah. So, you know, the athletic mindset is about delivering your own best performance. And so knowing where you are and knowing where you want to be, having goals that you're not ambivalent about are all part of having your own best performance, no matter what the situation is. So, you know, if you find yourself focused in some situations and not focused in other situations, yeah, that's normal. That's, that's how we're all built. If you want to move from not focused to focused, there are some techniques that can help you focus. You know, we talked today about goal setting and ownership. We talked a little bit about avoiding emotional traps We talked a little bit about the physical aspects in terms of good nutrition and good sleep. I'm going to throw in, you know, not having distracting electronics as part of a physical technique that is huge. I could do a whole other show on, you know, the, the, the influence of the recreational electronics on focus, but especially as so many of us are working from home and doing school from home, that's, that's become a crucial is, aspect of focusing. 
So all of these techniques, which are all techniques athletes use, are going to help you make your own best performance, no matter what the situation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mic drop on focus. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you for all of this wisdom you have shared with us in the last two episodes. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful you, you accepted my invitation. This has been great. Thank you. Kathy, it's been so fun talking with you. I love your show and I look forward to talking with you in the future. Awesome.